Are you ready for the word? The book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We are going verse by verse. And we are going to be going through verse 7 down to verse 12. So let's all stand and let's read the word of God together. And so Ephesians 1, 7, let's read. Uh, Let's pop it up. New King James so everybody can read together, please. All right, let's read. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it is already blessed, filled with the nutrients that we need. We're going to receive it today and be nourished by it. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening and open them by the gift of your grace. Father, I cause your children to receive exactly what they need from this and that they walk away with it. And we thank you that only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. High five on the way down, someone. All right, so let's get right, get, get into the message here. Let's, let's go back over verse 7. It says, in him, say in him. in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We talked about that the key to this book is the words in him. Matter of fact, it's so important, I gave you a book called In Him. And so have you guys been reading through your, your verses and in him and and so break that book open, and those are all the verses that talk about in him, through him, by him, and it talks about what belongs to you. Why does it belong to you? Because you're in him, and everything belongs to Jesus, and since he has everything and you're in him, you're in union with him, he freely shares all that he is and has with you. Isn't that nice of Jesus? And he did it. He came for the express purpose to be able to do that. Now, if I was Jesus, I probably wouldn't share everything with you. There's a few things I'd keep to myself. But no, he he freely came so he could give it all to you as a joint heir. So in him, uh, Paul uses this word in him or by him or through him, some form of that 164 times in his writings. It's extremely important to understand the Christian life. That it's all in him. You don't have your own unique covenant with God. God only has a covenant with one man. His name's Jesus Christ. And he made a covenant with Jesus Christ. And when you accept him as Lord and Savior, by the Spirit of God, you're plunged into Christ. And the Spirit of God is joined to your spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. You are one spirit with the Lord. 
And so you're in union with the Lord, and now everything he has, and he is, he shares it with you freely. He's a king. What are you? You're a king. He's a priest. What are you? A priest. You're, he's holy. You're holy. He's righteous. You're righteous. And we just go down one thing after another thing. You don't have anything uniquely individual just between you and God. It's always in him and through him that you have that. And so, so if you want to know who you are and what you have, you need to look at Jesus. So we're looking at ourselves and our flesh and our soul, but no, no, in our morning in spirit, with, well, pastor, I'd really be able to like to see my spirit. What color am I? You're light. You're glowing. You are light in the Lord. So you're like a light bulb. And we all will shine like a fir- in the firmament. And so we have to see, to, to really see who we are in the spirit, just look at Jesus. You want to see who you are, look at Jesus. What you have, look at Jesus. Because 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we when we get to heaven. No, in this present world. How's that in our born again spirit? So it's in him. Redemption is only found in him and by being in him. God does not redeem you individually and make covenants with you and redemption individually. That redemption is in Christ. And when you accept Christ, you accept that redemption that he gives you. Redemption is not given to all men automatically. Just because Jesus uh, paid for redemption, it's not applied to all human beings automatically when they're born. Redemption is provided for, for those who are in him. Tell someone you need to be in him. See, not everybody's in Christ. We were born in Adam. Tell someone you used to be in Adam's family. (laughs) And how can you get out of the Adam's family? Some are still in the Adam's family. John and Lisa Adams are in that. But how you got out of the Adam's family is by trusting and believing in Jesus. And in a split instant, you were (laughs) changed into Christ's family. You've got to Google it. Sorry, it's an American thing. Redemption is provided for in him. God deals with mankind in Christ. Make a very important statement. God deals with mankind in Christ, not with each person individually. You are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. Whether you're in Christ or out of Christ, that determines your individual destiny. But that's the, that's the demarcation, in Christ. If you're in Christ, you share his destiny. If you're in Christ, you share his destination and what belongs to him. So if any human being wants anything from God, it must come through, he must come through Christ for it. If one does not believe in Christ, they are not in Christ. And fail to obtain the redemption that Jesus purchased for them. See, there's a teaching today called universalism that teaches that because Jesus took all the sins of humanity upon himself, and so we understand that when Jesus did that, he freely did that. No one made Jesus take the sins of the world. In the garden, he said, not my will be done, but your be done. He basically accepted that, and he chose to identify with fallen humanity. 
of his own free will. He received all of the sins of humanity, died on the cross, but then he rose again as the representative of a new race of being, the new creation. And now, once he's raised from the dead, it's our turn. Will we accept identification with him and his resurrection? He accepted identification with us freely, but we must choose to freely receive identification with him. And that's why when you get saved, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. That's your, that's your identifi- faith identification with his resurrection. And you have to have that to be saved. And so a lot of people say, well, Jesus died for everybody, so everybody's in Christ. I want to blow that out of the water. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is the verse that tells you you're a new critter in Christ. Yeah. Or creature. Creation. I want you to see something, a very word that we read right over. Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, let, me, let me say something. Put your thinking cap on. If everyone is in Christ, there's no need for him to say if. Because everybody is. No, he said if. If. No, Salvation's a gift. It's a gift. And a gift must freely be accepted or freely rejected. The foundation of love is choice. You remove choice away from the equation. You don't have a gift anymore. You have slavery. You have what's issued to you. God issues no He doesn't issue salvation. Raise your hand if you were in the military. Was your fatigues that you got that day when you got your hair cut, did you... Did you get a choice on which haircut you got? I'm like, give me the Cary Grant or give me the Justin Bieber look. No, it was issued to you. You got it all, all of it. And then, the, then you were issued your uniform. You didn't say, well, you know, that's not my color. Can I have like green? I mean, well, this is green, but can I have some other color that doesn't match my eyes? No, it's issued to you. God doesn't issue salvation. It's given freely as a gift. And so if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This brings out the fact not everyone's in Christ. And if you're in Christ, raise your hand if that's you. Okay, that's you. Good news. You have redemption. And it's even better than that. It's present tense in the Greek. You're having redemption. Uh, I said that a few seconds ago, but right now you're still having it. Right now you have it. And you have it now. And you got it now. An hour from now, you have it. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. It's in the present tense, forever in the word of God. You're having redemption. What is redemption? It's the payment of a ransom to pull you out of slavery. It's to pay the ransom price. And the ransom price that brought us out of the slavery of sin is what? What had to be paid? The blood. And what's in the blood? Life's in the blood. The life of the Son of God had to be shed for us. And so redemption is one of the blessings found in verse 3 that says, before you're ever told to do anything, Paul says, oh, by the way, I'm Paul. By the way, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And he has the audacity to say that before anything's told for the Christian to do, which is in chapter 4. 
So you start out with every spiritual blessing by God's grace. And so you're having the, the payment. The ransom's been paid. The blood has been shed. And so guess what? In the Old Testament, there was the year of Jubilee. How do you like that word, Jubilee? Sounds jubilicious. <laughs> Celebratory. What was the year of Jubilee? What happened? You were set free from debt. All debts. And everything that you had came back. Tell someone some stuff's coming back to you that the devil took. He's, but God's waiting for you to realize it's Jubilee. You're in redemption. You have redemption. It's Jubilee right now. You don't have to wait 50 years. Praise the Lord. And so, so, we're, so ransom been paid, so it liberates us from what? It liberates us from sin. And, and when we're liberated from sin, we're, we're liberated from the law because the strength of sin is... So you're free from, the, from sin. Jesus fulfilled the law, set it aside. So you're not under the bondage of having to perform for God perfectly. And, and you're, since you're not, you're always under a curse. So you've been set free from having to perform constantly from God to be right with him because he's, you're made right through Jesus' offering. And also you're set free from Satan. Because Satan could only use sin and the law against you. And since both of them have been satisfied and you've been set free from those, you've been set free from Satan. But, but practically in your life, what are you ransomed from? You are ransomed from the slavery to guilt and condemnation. If you deal regularly with guilt of your past or what you did in the car driving here or condemnation, then you are, your faith is not, a, not in, uh, in Christ and receiving of his payment, receiving redemption. You're not enjoying redemption. It's been paid, but you're not enjoying it. It's being, so what's redemption? It's being set free from bondage. A missionary in West Africa was trying to convey the meaning of the word redemption in the Bambara language. So he asked his Bambara assistant to, ex, to express it in his native tongue. He said, we say, uh, the assistant replied, that God took our heads out of the iron collar of slavery. That's how they translated redemption. God took, out of our, took off our heads out of the iron collar of slavery. Redemption has three parts. There's a redemption of your born-again spirit. That happens when you're born again. And that's one time, all time, and so in your spirit, you're ready for heaven. Don't go there yet. You have assignment here. But then it has an aspect, a present tense aspect of your soul, where your soul is having, being renewed in the knowledge of that redemption. But then one day in Romans 8.23, it says that you're go, you, it's going to be a day of redemption for your body. Tell someone this is not as good as it gets. You're going, to have a, you're going to have a resurrected body just like Jesus. Walk through walls. I'm going to walk through walls and scare people. All right. We have redemption through his blood. Say blood. Look at Hebrews 9.22. Let's pop that up. Hebrews 9.22. 
how does God give forgiveness? See, we have a Western culture. And when we bring our Western culture into trying to understand uh, biblical covenant or, or, or the ancient world or even the Eastern world, we get off. Because how we give forgiveness to each other is by apology. Husbands, you know, apology. And you must mean it. And a tear helps if it's in the corner of your eye. And flower, dying vegetation. And then, and then forgiveness is given. No, that, that's not God's economy for forgiveness. God has one economy for forgiveness. Look at Hebrews 9.22. What's the, what is the, the economy of forgiveness according to God? And according to the law, almost all things were purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. God's economy of forgiveness is the shedding of innocent blood to death. That's why the blood of bulls and goats, every time a sin, an animal had to die. Someone had to die, either that person or an animal. But the animal, it was only temporary. It was temporary blood. It just covered the sin. And every time it happened, you had to reshed the blood. But there was something about the blood of Jesus that was different than the blood of bulls and goats, something different than the blood of any other human being. It was the blood of God. I threw some people off. Well, Pastor, help me. Acts 20, 28. <clears throat> Read it carefully. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of who? The church of who? Which he purchased with his own blood. You better hope that blood was the blood of God because it could reach all the way back to Adam and go all the way through eternity, crying out better things than that of Abel. And through the blood, you have the forgiveness of sins. Look at the word forgiveness. It's a Greek word which means it, there's a twofold meaning to this Greek word, forgive, forgiveness. It means to release, say release. But it also means a sending away. Say sending away. Sending. Say release. release. Send away. Send Our sins have been paid for by the blood, and we've been released from the guilt of them. But not only were we, we released, but they were sent away. How far were they sent away from us? As far as the east from the west. You notice it didn't say as far as the north from the south. You know, if you go north long enough, you'll go south. North meets south, and south meets north. And you, but if you go east and continue to go east, you'll never meet up with west. Your sins is removed as far as the east from the west in the sea of forgetfulness. Our sins have been sent away. In Leviticus 16, there is the mention of the Day of Atonement, and they had two goats. One goat you killed and, and sprinkled the blood, took it into the mercy, mercy seat, and you sprinkled it in, in the mercy seat, and, and that brought a release from guilt. But that wasn't enough. Just to be released, 
but what caused it to be removed far away. So you took the other goat called the scapegoat and you laid their hands on it and spoke over it all the sins and the guilt and sent it away far into the wilderness, never to come back. See, God didn't just release you from your guilt, but he sent it away. He'll never touch your life again. We'll revisit that later. The forgiveness of our sins. Well, pastor, that's the sins I committed before I got born again. Praise the Lord. But the sins I've committed today and the sins I've committed tomorrow or will commit tomorrow and through, that's not covered by the blood. Because God cannot forgive future sins. Well, hold on a second. When Jesus died 2,000 years ago for your sins, how many of your sins were future tense? Every single one of them. So if there was a sin Jesus didn't bleed for, die for, pay for, he would have to come back, be nailed afresh, crucified afresh. Hebrews says that's blasphemy. No, how many times was the blood shed? One time for all time, Hebrews says. God's economy of forgiveness is the shedding of blood to death. Jesus sent it in high, went into the true tabernacle, and placed his blood on the mercy seat that cries out better things than that of Abel. Abel's blood cried out vengeance, vindication. The blood of Jesus cries out forgiveness and blessing throughout eternity. So no, no, no. All your sins, past, present, and future, have been redeemed, you've been released from them, and they were sent away. Why? According to the riches of his grace. His grace. It was his idea, it was his doing, and he accomplished it already. By the riches. Aren't you glad God didn't have grace? It's the riches of his grace. We're going to find out later when you get into heaven, he's going to show you the exceeding riches of his glory. You haven't seen all of it yet. You're just living in the riches of his grace now. Once you get into heaven, there's going to be the exceeding riches of his grace. We haven't even seen what he has for us. It's by God's abundant and amazing grace that we're redeemed and forgiven of all of our sins. Well, pastor, won't that make us live in sin? Well, it would if you were just forgiven. But God does something else. He gives you a heart transplant when you accept him as Lord and Savior. He takes the old pig nature out of you that loves the mud, loves the... He, he gives you a heart transplant and puts a heart of a sheep in you. Go, bah. You couldn't do that if you weren't a sheep. You, the minute you tried to do it, you go, that's all you could do. Pigs love the mud. Sheep hate the mud. They may get dirty, but they hate the state. The most miserable person on the planet is not an unbeliever. It's a believer living in bondage. We have a new nature on the inside. And he's placed the Holy Spirit as the power source to draw from to live a supernatural life. If you're truly born again, you don't want to sin. You, you want to live in victory. 
We will live much more holy automatically by focusing on Christ's finished work on the cross than uh, given by grace than focusing on your sin trying to overcome it. The more you try to focus on your sin, you're self-focused. You are selfish. You are, it, it, you're feeding self. How do you know you're selfish? When you, when you go to a football game and they huddle up and you think they're talking about you. Or when the rugby players get into the, in the scrum, you think they're talking about you. You're selfish. Look away, look at Jesus. Three steps to the Christian life. Number one, look at Jesus. Step number two, keep looking at Jesus. Step number three, keep on looking at Jesus. Verse eight. Which he, God the Father, made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. What? Redemption. He made a bound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Prudence means understanding. Wisdom means cleverness or skill, intelligence. I don't think we appreciate the wisdom, the intelligence and understanding it took to provide the redemption we have now. In God's wisdom, he provided a redemption in which both he is just, he's righteous, in that redemption, he's just and the justifier of those that come to him. See, there's a problem. God couldn't just say, well, you know, I forgive you. Well, justice has to be satisfied. If someone kills somebody and goes before a judge, and the judge actually is the father of the one that committed it, of the, of the, of the son who committed the murder. Can the judge say, because I love you so much, I'm going to choose just to let this thing go. Would he be a righteous judge? No, justice has to be satisfied. The wages of sin, that's justice. So justice had to be satisfied. There had to be death in your case. The death penalty had to be given to you. But how could he give the death penalty to you and still love you and be good to you at the same time? Redemption. The wisdom of redemption. That God would become a man and live as and for us and then take our death penalty upon himself and die our death. Romans 3, look at verse 26. If you're taking notes. Romans 3, look at verse 26. Jesus went to the cross to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. How could God be just, righteous, but also justify and make righteous the person who had committed the crime? Jesus stood in and took the death penalty. No mere mortal would have ever devised this plan of redemption. I'm going to come up with a plan of redemption where I'm going to suffer and die for that person. That's a good one. You wouldn't come up with that. God did. I, I don't know. He could have done it a million different ways, but that's the way he chose to do it, to show you how much he loves you. See, too often we are, we're governing in how God feels about us by our circumstances. The worst barometer to know how God feels about you at any given time, the worst barometer is your circumstances. 
because they're up and down, up and down. Another terrible barometer is your feelings. Feelings. They're up and down like a yo-yo. The only true barometer of how God feels towards you at any moment is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's forever settled. You want to experience the love of God, look back and focus on how much he suffered and was beaten and whipped and pierced and suffered, not just physically, but taking the guilt and the sins of hum- your sins and guilt and being separated from his father from eternity, from eternity he had that fellowship with. That's how much he loves you right now. Well, I just messed up. Yeah, he loves you that way and redeemed you from that. Verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Look at that word mystery. He he wanted to make known to us the mystery of his will. The word mystery comes from the Greek word musterion. We get the word mystery from this word, musterion. A musterion was a hidden thing. It was a secret, but brought out into the open. The word mystery in the New Testament is a truth that's undiscoverable except by revelation. Let me say that again. In the New Testament, the word mystery is an undiscoverable truth. You could never never discover God's mystery unless he revealed it to you. This word mystery is used by Paul to speak of this. Every time Paul uses the word mystery, it's speaking of this present age of grace. He speaks and uses it of the church age. It's called the mystery. Why is, it, why is the church aid called the mystery? Because in the Old Testament, Jesus' first coming is prophesied. His second coming is prophesied, well documented. But you can't find it clearly spoken about the church age. You have to find it in type and shadow, but not clearly prophesied that in between his first coming and his second coming is going to be this thing called the church age. It's almost like God had a stopwatch where Jewish time was ticking off. And so when Jesus came, he clicked it off, set it aside, picked up the mystery timepiece, clicked it on. And that's the church age. It's been going, clicking off for 2,000 years. And when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, he's going to click it off, set it down, and pick up the Jewish time clock again and click it for seven more years called the Great Tribulation. The disciples thought Jesus was immediately going to bring in his earthly kingdom. Because in the Old Testament, look in Isaiah 61, look at verse 1 and 2. This is a representative of many verses that talk about his first and second coming right next to each other. So in the mind of the disciples, Jesus came and was going to usher in his earthly kingdom right then. Look in Isaiah 61, look at verse 1. This is the verse Jesus read in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth. When they gave him the scroll, this is what he said. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. But notice there's one little part Jesus left off. He quoted the first half of verse 2. He didn't finish reading the second half of verse 2. 
He just said, this is the proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and shut the book. Didn't read the verse. Why? Because in between the first half of the verse 2 and the second half of verse 2, there's going to be a mystery called the church age. And when Jesus comes back, he will tread out the fierce wrath of God during the tribulation and vengeance of our God. But in between the first half and second verse of verse 2, there's called the mystery. God's going to insert. Tell someone you're a mystery. <laughs> Husband's really meaning it. You're a mystery. <laughs> a beautiful mystery. You know why men don't understand women? Because Adam was asleep when he made her. <laughs> yeah, I have a clue. I This mystery that's now been revealed in the new... Paul, this is called the Pauline revelation of the church age, of what belongs to the church age, the church of grace, uh, or the age of grace. This is the Pauline revelation. That's where Peter says, there's some things Paul says that blows my mind that Paul received in Arabia, I believe, at Mount Sinai. God purposed to bring Jews... What, what's this mystery? That God purposed... Not only to have the Jews in covenant with him, but also to bring the Gentiles into one. To, to graft in the Gentiles into covenant with God. This was a mystery you can't find in the Old Testament, just alluded to here or there, but not clearly taught. And so this is happening spiritually. Spiritually, any Jew that believes upon Messiah is in covenant with him. Any Gentile that believes upon Jesus the Messiah is in covenant, but the same covenant. We're in the same olive tree. We're in oneness. This is spiritually speaking. What is going to happen during the millennial reign, the next age, is happening now spiritually. Now Jesus is our spiritual head to the church, but when he comes back, he will be the natural head over the entire earth. Right now, it's a spiritual kingdom he rules over. But during the next age of the millennium, it will be a natural kingdom of all nations. Now he's the king over the church, but then he will be king over the entire world. He reigns from New Jerusalem right now. But there will be a day he reigns from the natural Jerusalem. And so he purposed this in himself. This was his internal resolve to bring redemption. It wasn't from external pressure. It wasn't out of, well, I didn't think through everything, made Adam and Eve, got him into this bad situation. Now it's a mess. I got him into it. I got to get him out of it. No, he knew about Adam and Eve before Adam and Eve was here. Well, pastor, then why did he even make man? Why didn't he just stop? Why didn't he, why didn't he stop Adam and Eve and make them not sin? Because then you take love out of the equation. Choice. If you force your way on a woman, that will not bless her. And it's not love. And God is? Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times... He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. Say in him. Amen. Yeah, it's in him. Dispensation. 
of the fullness. Look at the word dispensation. It means a management of a household. Do you know how one people, uh, one couple rule, runs their house different than another couple? Well, different dispensations or time periods, God dealt with man differently in each time period. So what's a dispensation? It's a time period. It's time periods or ages in which God dealt differently with man in each one based on the covenant that he made in each one. There have been different dispensations or time periods during our human existence. There were seven major dispensations where God was dealing from Adam and Eve to when he wraps it all up, and then he'll put an eighth one that will go through eternity. But what are the seven dispensations? And with the dispensation, this is God deals differently with mankind in each one of them based on a covenant he made during that dispensation. So what's the first dispensation or time period? Was the dispensation of innocence. That was before the fall, before they ate us out of house and home. And the covenant that ruled this dispensation was the Edenic covenant. The Edenic, E-D-E-N-I-C covenant. The Edenic covenant. The next dispensation after a man fell is the dispensation of human government. Wherever one did according to their own sight, best within their own eyes. And this is where uh, the covenant that ruled this is the Noetic covenant. The Noetic covenant. The next, co next dispensation was the dispensation of promise. The covenant that ruled this dispensation was the Abrahamic covenant. Next dispensation. What was the next dis dispensation? The law. And what's the covenant that governs the law? The Mosaic Covenant. The next dispensation. What's the next dispensation? Tell them you're in this one. And you know how God dealt with man under the law was a bit different than how he dealt with you now? You know how he dealt with, with complainers and murmurers in the Old Covenant under the law? Snakes! Aren't you glad that you're not in this covenant? You're in this covenant instead of that covenant? I am too. I'm glad I don't, I'm not under the dispensation of the law because you would have to drag your heifer to church and I'd have to kill it. It's messy. I don't like blood. Jesus was the one sacrifice. The next one is the dispensation of the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Jesus. But let me tell you, in every dispensation, how God dealt with man was different, but how, God, how man was to approach to God never changed. If you wanted to approach to God, it was always by grace through faith. You got saved by faith in the Lord. It was by faith you got saved. It was before the law, Abraham got, was made righteous by faith before the law. Those under the law didn't get saved by bulls and goats. They couldn't take away sin. It wasn't by keeping the law. No one could keep, keep the law. Anybody had a revelation of what those lambs and bulls represented to put their faith in the Lord, they would be saved by faith in the Lord. And then lastly, an eighth dispensation. Eight speaks of new beginnings. There's going to be called the dispensation of eternity. What's going to happen then? I don't know. But the covenant that that, well, first of all, the dispensation of millennium is the kingdom covenant. And lastly, the dispensation of eternity is called the everlasting covenant. 
the everlasting covenant. So a dispensation can also be translated administration. You know, every four years we get a new, or hopefully, <laughs> we'll get a new administration. Do you know how Trump did his administration was a bit different than Biden's? So each time period, each administration, God dealt differently with man, but how man approached God never changed. It says in the dispensation of the fullness of times, to wrap all these time periods up. You know, there's different time periods called ages in our human existence. Jesus actually created time. He created these time periods and arranged them. Look in Hebrews 1, verse 2. This is in the Amplified Classic. It says in the King James that he created the worlds. The word world is the Greek word cosmos. That's not the Greek word. The Greek word for age is aeon, A-I-O-N. Here we have the word aeon. God created the aeon, the ages, plural, actually in the Greek. But in the last of these days, he spoke unto us in the person of a son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the worlds uh, and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. So Jesus created the time periods. And he's going to wrap it up in one mega time period where it's all going to come together, and that's the millennial reign. Jesus is coming back. Tell someone Jesus is coming back. And he's not going to have a little lamb, emaciated look on his face with a little lamb. He's going to pull back to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He's coming back on a white horse. He's going to pull a long Galilean leg over the stallion. And he's saying, McFarland, get on your own horse. Yes, sir. We'll all be on white horses, our own horses. So, so it says here that in the fullness of times, plural, that's seasons or time periods, he's going to gather together all things, whether they're in heaven or earth, in him, and bring them all together. Right now, there's division everywhere you look. There are many nations all separated on the earth that, that rule over their own little kingdoms. That happened at the Tower of Babel. The main division between all those nations is Jew and Gentile. But there's a great division in the earth today. Not spiritually, but naturally. God's going to bring all of these un into oneness under him in the millennial reign. And you will rule and reign with him during this thousand years. You're in training for reigning. Tell someone you're training for reigning. Some of you are still a private. You want to be a general. You want to, you want to rule and reign. I want to rule over cities. I've claimed Hawaii. Get your own island. I want you to see something very interesting in this verse. That he's going to gather together into one of all things. Well, that's all things. That means that's universal. Those are everybody in hell and Satan's going to get saved. Well, hold on, hold on. Keep reading in context. He'll gather together all things in heaven and on the earth. Notice he doesn't mention under the earth. 
Hell's left out because they will not be under his headship. Both, he's going, to re- re- he's going to emphasize this even now, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth. No mention under the earth. There's no reconcil- universal reconciliation of souls after you die. Well, pastor, give me another verse to show me this. Look at Colossians 1, look at verse 20. Colossians 1, look at verse 20. And by him, that's Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. Oh, there you go. Everybody, all humans are going to get born, are going to be reconciled to God. The devil's going to get reconciled. Well, hold on, keep reading in context. By him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Notice hell or under the earth not mentioned. Verse 11. In him, say in him, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, look at the words in him. It is only in him that we obtain an inheritance. Why? Because it's his inheritance. There's only one heir. His name's Jesus. And when you got born again, you were plunged into him, joined to him by one spirit, and you were made to be a joint heir with the heir. He shares it with you. You have nothing individually. You don't have an in run with God individually. It's all in him. He's got it all. Jesus is loaded. The Father loves him some Jesus. Tell someone, Jesus, God loves some you. Because you're in him. You have obtained an inheritance. Well, my pastor, I don't see it. Well, Thomas. <laughs> Thomasina. You got to believe it before you see it. Hebrews 6.12 says it's through faith and patience we inherit, inherit the promises as an heir. Through faith and patience. Why? There's a, there's a time period between amen, I believe, I receive, and the, ah, manifestation. There's a time period called patience. But we are predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Do you know a large segment of Christianity, which is under what's called Calvinism, which is, teaches the ultra-sovereignty of God, that God wills, whatever God wills always gets whatever he wants. That whatever's done is his will. And they teach that, that God uh, picked some to go to heaven and just picked individuals to go to hell. Don't know, what, he was in a bad mood that day. He just picked them and, and decided every individual fate of each one before they were born and sends them to heaven or hell. That is a hellish doctrine. But it's taught around the world. See, this is the thought of the, of the wrong concept that God deals individually with every single person in their own thing with God. No, he deals with mankind in Christ. Amen. You have a choice to be in Christ. You have a choice to be out of Christ. Amen. You know, in reality, Jesus is the only one that's predestined to the glory of God. He's the predestined one. He's the elect one. Look at uh, Amplified. We're almost done. Don't unbuckle. We're, we'll be landing soon. 
Amplified. Look at 1 Peter 1. Look at verse 20. You have to understand the New Testament by in him. It is true that he, that's Jesus, was chosen. He's the chosen of God. And when you accept him as Lord and Savior, guess what you become? Chosen. He's the elect. You become the elect. Foreordained. He was foreordained. He was destined and foreknown for it. What? The cross, the burial, the resurrection, the seating, the glory. He was destined for that. And guess what? Anybody that would accept him, enter into him, shares his destiny. I shared this illustration for those that weren't here. It's the best illustration I could think of. Is a plane. You have a plane sitting at the airport. Say right here at Colorado Springs. And its destination is New York City. The pilot has plugged into the computer the predestination. Destination advance. Plugged it in. And anybody that would obtain a ticket show up at the airport, and what do they have to do once they have the ticket to get on the plane? Get on the plane. You get on the plane, immediately you share the pilot and the plane's predestination to New York. You choose not to get on the plane, you, you do not share in that pilot in the plane's destination. The pilot is God the Father. He planned the trip to heaven, and Jesus is the plane, and, he, and Jesus provided the ticket for every human being. He bought it through his blood. Every human being. His name's been on the passenger list. He put everybody, humans, every human's name that had ever lived before the foundation of the world, he put everybody's name on the passenger list. And then in time, as we lived it out, those that accepted him, accepted the free ticket, and actually entered into him, God didn't throw anybody into the plane. You have to enter into the plane by faith. And when they, when they sit down and they buckle up, they just shared in the destination of the plane and of the pilot. And once the doors close, there's no more minutes. When that door shuts, after you die, that door shuts. You don't get on the plane. Have you ever been late to a plane? You didn't, they don't reopen the door. It's too late then. And everyone's name on the passenger list that didn't show up gets erased. Revelation says, those that believe on me are overcomers, and I will not blot out their name from the land's book of life. Verse 12, you've been waiting for it. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He said, we Jews, he was a Jew, we Jews were the first to trust in Christ. But then the Jews rejected, basically, the gospel and went to the Gentiles. We Jews were the first who trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. And so next week we're going to get in between Jew and Gentile and discuss more about that. But here I'm going to end with this. That in this chapter in book of Ephesians, it's written to Christians. It was written to in him, those in him. The problem today is we have people today teaching that they're taking all of these promises that are in him and applying them all of humanity. And you get off when you do that. Because you make this error when you treat every individual separately. God has an individual thing going on with every individual person. I chose you, didn't choose you. I choose you, I didn't choose you. Chose you, didn't choose you. Chose you, didn't choose you. And so that's called Calvinism. 
But you know what universalism is? It's Calvinism on steroids. It says God always gets what he wants. Well, God wants all people to go to heaven. It says that in 2 Peter, I believe. It's God's will that no should perish. So universalists say, well, then, then God's will will happen. He'll make everybody get saved. He throws everybody onto the plane, buckles them in whether they want it or not. No, you have a choice. Today you have a choice. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ, you're not right with God. You have nothing outside of Jesus Christ. But I really want to just really close this down. I want to go back to forgiveness. It means to be released and to send away. You know, a lot of Christians believe God's forgiven them. But they haven't forgiven themselves. They believe God's released them from the guilt, but, it, but they have not sent them away. God, they, have, they have not sent their sins away. They have not sent their guilt away. They allow the devil to pepper them with their past. And you allow that to go, and you allow those sins to stick around. Send them away. Send them away. Whether it was so bad, it was so, yeah, but Jesus died for them. He shed his life for them. He sent them away as far as the east, in his mind, his heart, east is west. What are you going to do with them? A lot of you in here, you still haven't sent them away. Well, where do I send them? To the cross. You need to look from you and how bad you've been and the, that thing you feel guilty about and that thing keeps coming back and coming back. You need to send, verbally send it away. And say, no, 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 Jesus died for you. Blood was shed for you. God has forgiven and released me. He sent that as far as the east from the west. Now I dispatch you. I send you to the cross. Never to return in Jesus' name. And Father, I receive your forgiveness. Bow your heads. There are some people here today that need to do that. There's some people here today, you're holding the sins of another person against them. You need to send them away. You need to release them from owing you what Jesus paid the debt. They can't pay you. you can, they can never pay you back sufficiently for what they've done to you. They can't. Jesus did. So will you release them? Will you send it away? Well, where do I send those things, that the bad stuff, the abuse that I've had? Where do I send it? To the cross. To the cross. Send it to the cross. And leave it there. And be free today. If that's you, close your eyes. You say, today, I, I either have some things I need, my own sins again, that I've done myself that I haven't forgiven. I need to I'm going to release it and send it away to the cross. But there's some people... I need to sit because equally I've been forgiven. They've been equally forgiven the same sacrifice. And I'm going to send it to the same place to the cross. If that's you, no one looking around, and you're as an act of faith, this, you're, you're making the act of faith right now. Raise your hand. Father, I thank you. Send it away. Now send it away. Send it to the cross right now. 
send it to the cross. And it goes on Christ. And he dies. And it's buried. Never to be resurrected. Now receive, say, Father. Say, Father, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your release. And I thank you that you've sent, sent all this away as far as the east from the west. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God together. Identification with me, although imparted at new birth, is never imposed. It can only be accepted, but then you must abide in it. Remember, I, I identified with you first. I went up upon your cross as you so that you would come out of my tomb as me. Father makes no distinction between us as we are now one. There is no me apart from you. There is no you apart from me. In the fullness of me is now we. Don't wait for my return, for I have returned time and again in you and you and you. Be who I have made you to be, me. You are my greatest return. Manifest my grace by manifesting me.